The 8.30 service today left me stranded, so I did something in the last service that worked, and hopefully it'll work this service too. If you're a guy and you are dating, engaged, or married, would you please raise your hand? Would you please raise your hand? Okay? Okay. No, keep them up. Keep them up. Keep them up because I'm trying to help some of the girls out um, who are like, they were wondering. They didn't know. Um, it's, it's, so these are the guys that if I didn't call you out, you would have left me stranded. Um, you can put your hands down. For those of you that raised your hand, here's what you need to know about women. And you will agree with me because I'm about to tell the truth. Now, don't turn to your wife or your girlfriend and go, that's not true, baby, because it's true. Women will ask you questions that set you up to not win. For example, for example, you're standing there with her. Another girl walks by and she goes, oh my gosh, she's cute. In that moment, you don't say a word. You don't nod your head. You don't acknowledge the fact that she's even spoken, but this bothers her. So she will ask you, do you think she's cute? Now, let me give you the best response ever. Some of y'all can write this down. This is going to save your relational issues. I've learned this. Do you think she's cute? Do I? Don't answer her. Just ask her, do I? She goes, yes, you do. Oh, my gosh, she is. I, like, I don't, like, I'm not going to talk about this with you. And then, and, or, or it's like this. Hey, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, did you see her nails? No. I did not see her nails. I eat my nails, all right? Like, I, I, like, I don't, did you see her hair? No. I, I mean, she has hair. Do you think that hair's real? What? This is not stuff that guys talk about. Guys don't, guys don't go, oh my gosh, look at his hair, whatever. In fact, for a dude, for me looking at another dude, I don't go, oh my gosh, his hair, oh my gosh, his nails. But I tell you what I do respect, I tell you, I, mad respect, is a man that has a beard. And I'm not talking about like a cute beard. I'm talking about a beard that says, I just drank black coffee with gunpowder. I wrestled with bears when chew red man and, and chop trees with my bare hands. That kind of beard. So, so I'm, I was kind of curious about beards because I can't grow a beard. Like, I, I can't get past the itchy face. Like, I'm going to grow a beard in three, week, th three days in. I'm like, no, I'm going to shave all this stuff. Um, but I can't get past the itchy phase. But I didn't know how long it took to grow a beard, so I went to Google. Because, like, like we, we, Google answers everything. And I typed in, how long does it grow, take to grow a beard? It said between two and four months. I'm like, that's like the cable company, right? <laughs> we'll be at your house between Monday and Friday. When? Monday, Friday, right? So I just, I, I went to Twitter because <laughs> as of this week, I still have an account. Um, so I went to Twitter and put the question. You got to laugh, people. I put the question out there. How long does it take to grow a beard? The answers were all over the place. One of my friends, David, said, I've been trying for 43 years and can't grow a beard. I'm, so and I'm sorry, dude. Um, one guy said two months. One guy said four months. One guy six months. One lady answered and said, my husband's beard took him two and a half years to grow, but she included a picture of his beard? That dude's got mad beard game. I was like, oh my, like his beard was out of here. Like Santa Claus was going, no, that's a beard. Like, 
And so, I, 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 but I don't know how long it takes. But have you ever seen a man that had a beard and then one day he just shaved it? And you, you just didn't recognize him. He walked in the room. You're like, hey, hey, what are you doing here? I live here. Oh, I'm like, it's, it's kind of weird. How long does it take to grow a beard? The, the answers are all over the place, but eventually you get to the place where you want to be when it comes to growing a beard. Now, let, let me push pause on that. Let me ask another question. How long does it take to get over shame? Like that thing, that season in your life, that thing that, that you did, and let, let's just be honest, you did it. You did it. Or that thing that was done to you that causes shame in your life, like how long does it take to get over that? Uh, a week, 10 days, six months, two years? There are people in this room or watching online that you have been struggling with the shackles of shame for maybe 10, 15, 20 years. Shame is very real. And I'm here to tell you that shame is not the life. Living in shame is not what God intended for you. But how do you get past it and how do you get through it? And is it even possible to get over it? Now, let's put that there and let's come back to the beard for just a second. In the ancient world, in, in, in the time where King David ruled in Israel, David was the guy that killed Goliath, a beard was a sign of a man's strength. If a man had a, a beard, that meant he was a warrior. He was a fighter. He was willing to go to war and fight. The beard was symbolic of a man's strength. With that in mind, we're going to dive into a story that at first, like when you read through this story, if you just read through the Bible and you read through this story, at first it has no significance, but it took me like 30 years to see this stuff. So it's, it's really cool. Here we go. Um, 2 Samuel chapter 10, verse 1. Sometime after this, King Nahash of the Ammonites died and his son Hanan became king. David said, I'm going to show loyalty to Hanan just as his father Nahash was always loyal to me. So David sent ambassadors to express sympathy to Hanan about his father's death. Now, this is very common. It was common in the ancient world and it's common today that in another um, nation, if, if a head of state dies, then the United States will send a delegation to pay respect to that nation. And it's a practice that has been going on for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. But the thing I want to focus in on and the thing that makes it so personal is this. Now, I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm going to give you the answer. I'm going to set you up for success. If you feel like you've gotten everything wrong today, I'm about to help you get something right. I'm going to give you the answer. In this story, there is a king, and the king's name is, we're going to say it on three, one, two, three, David. You got it right. You got it right. I know in church the answer is always Jesus, but in this case it was David, all right? So the king is David, and he had some ambassadors go to express sympathy for him. So in other words, the ambassadors were on assignment from the king. The ambassadors were on assignment from the king. The ambassadors were on assignment from the king. Paul tells us, the apostle Paul tells us, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that if we are in Christ, we are his 
ambassadors. And guess what? If you're in this room, if you're living, if you're breathing, God, the king, has an assignment for your life. There is a reason you're on this planet. And it's not to just take up space. And listen, it's not to sit in shame. It's to move forward. It's to advance the kingdom. It's to live an abundant life. God didn't call us to live in the shackles of shame for the rest of our life. We can't let what, what hurt us in the past hold us hostage for the future. These ambassadors were on assignment. Do you know what a miracle you are? Like, if your mom and dad had waited five more minutes, you wouldn't be here. If your mom hadn't had that extra glass of wine, right, you wouldn't be here. If they had decided to binge one more episode of that show they were watching, you wouldn't be here, right? You are a, it's a miracle that you're here. So there's no way that anybody in this room can claim I'm an accident. Maybe your parents told you were an accident. Maybe you believed you were an accident. That is a lie from the pit of hell. You were born on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose. You are so unique. It's, it's crazy that nobody on this planet has your exact DNA. And guess what? God has an assignment on your life. There's something he wants to accomplish in you. There's something he wants to accomplish through you. And it really is immeasurably more than all you could ever ask for or imagine. Sometimes, though, we let the enemy distract us um, and get us off track for the assignment that God has on our life. And what's happening in this story is these guys, David says, I want you to go represent me. And they're like, all right, cool. The myth in the Christian world is this. As long as you do what God wants you to do, everything's going to go okay. Car's always going to start. Dog's always going to pee outside. <laughs> always going to get a raise at your job. Everything's going to be great. And anytime you have a problem in your life, well, that's just symbolic of sin. You got sin. You got that hidden sin. Yeah, I, I'm, there's no sin. Oh, there's sin. You're hiding that sin. No, I, I really think I'm, I'm good. I mean, I sin, but like, not like that. And it's like it gets intense. And so all these guys are, are these, are these guys simply doing what their king asked them to do? Yes or no? Well, yeah, okay. There we go. But when David's ambassadors arrived in the land of Ammon, the Ammonite commander said to Hanan, their master, do you really think these men are coming here to honor your father? No. David has sent them to spy out the city so they can come in and conquer it. Now, is this true, yes or no? No, it's not true. Which causes me just to pause and tell you that if you think everyone understands your assignment, you're crazy. In fact, one of, the, one, of the, one of the best ways to make sure that you go insane is try to make everybody understand the call that God has placed on your life. There is no way that everybody's going to agree with or endorse the assignment that God has put on your life. And by the way, let me, let me tell you this. The assignment that God has on your life was put on your life before you were born. The assignment that God has on your life 
was put on your life before you were born. And no person in this room and no person watching online has the power to disqualify yourself from the assignment that God placed on your life before you were even born. Because before you were born, did God know you were going to do the sin that you've done? Yes or no? And he placed the assignment on your life anyway. Nobody in this room, even though we live in cancel culture, you can't cancel the assignment that God placed on your life before you were born because you were born on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose. And so we've got to let other people stop canceling what God has called us to do in the first place. I had somebody tell me, I had somebody tell me when I first announced that I was going to start Second Chance, I had a magazine article, and uh, another person sent me an email, and both of them said the same thing, too soon. It's too soon. It's too soon. In fact, a lot of people said that, but like these two main people said, it was a, it was a major um, Christian article, too soon. So I, I took the words, too soon. And I wrote them on my whiteboard in my office so I could see them every day. And I did it, number one, for motivation, but number two, to remind me that God's calling is greater than man's curse. And just because somebody has cursed you or cursed what you think God has called you to do, their curse only cancels God's calling if you let it. Don't give that kind of power. Don't give that kind of power to people that never believed in you in the first place. If God's called you to it, he will see you through it. You keep, y'all, this is, y'all, I hadn't preached this stuff at 8.30 or 10. They better come back. I mean, because I'm feeling it. I, don't let people cancel the calling of God on your life. That's what the enemy's trying to do right here. Trying to cancel the calling, right? And so, so it's about to get crazy. Now, I know this is a second chance. I know there's some people in this room that were, you've been to some crazy parties. Crazy parties. Like last night. <laughs> That's why y'all at the 1130 service, y'all weren't sober enough to come to 830 or 10. But, but I'm just glad you're here, all right? Just turn to your neighbor right now and tell them, I'm glad you're sober. I'm glad you're sober. Don't touch them because you could, like, that's weird now. But just tell them, all right? There we go. Watch this. So Hanan seized David's ambassadors. Because that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to seize you. And shaved off half of each man's beard. Now, I don't know. I don't know if they shaved it this way <laughs> or this way. But can you imagine, can you imagine the humiliation that came along with that? You're a man. You got a beard. It's symbolic of your strength. And you are held down, probably by several men. And half of your beard is shaved. See, if the enemy can humiliate you, then he can keep you hidden away. And that's not even the worst part. What happens next? Cut off their robes at the buttocks and, <laughs> and sent them back to David in shame. 
Now, I've been to some crazy parties for some wild stuff take, took place. But I have never seen a group of men grab another man and cut off his pants at, at halfway over the butt. Now, I've seen girls wear these shorts in the summer. We just call them Daisy Dukes. But I've never seen this happen. Like, just, let's just imagine you're, you're welcoming people out in front of the building. You're like, how you doing? How you doing? And a man walks up, and he's got pants, and his butt's halfway hanging out. You'd be like, okay, 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 this is second chance. <laughs> Excuse me, sir, I'm going to give you a second chance to get dressed. <laughs> I'm going to go with you to Target because that can't happen here. That's just weird, right? Can you imagine the humiliation, though, these men felt? And they weren't doing anything bad. They weren't doing anything wrong. They were representing their king. They ran in to resistance, and they are completely shamed. What will shame do to us? Well, I did the acrostic shame as I was thinking about this week. The letter S stands for silence. Shame wants to silence us and the calling that God has placed on our life. Shame, we live in cancel culture. Shame wants to cancel your joy, cancel your hope, cancel your peace. When any time you get any amount of hope and you're trying to move forward, shame screams at you about what you did. See, guilt, guilt don't, don't, don't miss this. Guilt says this is what you did, but shame says this is who you are. And shame will keep you shackled in silence, and you'll never speak up because you're scared that somebody is going to bring up what you did. Hey, let me just, let me just get real and honest with y'all. I just, man, I'm feeling some freedom here at this service. Over the past two weeks on Twitter, I have engaged in some intense conversations do you know that when people can't answer me, they always go back to, well, you're just a drunk? I saw that a dozen times over the past two weeks. You know what I've learned to say in my mind, not out loud, sometimes out loud? To hell with what you say. No, 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 no. Let, let me teach you this because you need to learn how to say this too. To hell with what you say. To hell. Because you know where it came from? It came from hell. And so if it came from hell, I'm going to send it back to hell. To hell with what you say. I used to be a drunk, but I've been sober for four years. I'm walking in the victory that Jesus has given. You used to be a drunk. You used to be an addict. You used to live that way, but now you're a brand new person. Don't let people that don't know you define you on social media. Live the life that God has called you to be, and don't let them silence you because their opinion about you is wrong in the first place. God, I'm feeling it, though. Love 1130. Letter H stands for hinders. Shame will hinder our walk with God, and it will hinder our walk with others because we try to hide who we really are. Somebody asked me about how I felt about a mask mandate. I'm like, a mask mandate don't bother me. I've been working in church. People have been wearing masks for 30 years. <laughs> I'm not mad at you. 
Well, the reason we, we, we hide stuff is because we're afraid that people really knew what we were like. For example, me and my fiance, we, when we first started dating, we'd go out to eat, and I just, I just got to be honest with you, I'm getting a little older, certain foods that I eat <laughs> disagree with me, and I get a little gassy. <laughs> and so I would be like, we would like be watching a movie, and I'd be like, hey, I need to, I need to run out of my truck real quick. I think I left something in my truck. Now, I completely lied to her. I've admitted my sin. She has forgiven me. But uh, I had to go out of my truck to, to like, I had, I, I had to fart. That's what I had to do. Because <laughs> I'm like, if I let this out in front of her, the relationship is over. Because mine are horrible. And I would, I would have to stay out there for like 10 minutes because if you walk back in too quick, you bring, you bring the Passover effect with you. And it just, like plants start dying and animals start passing out and fish are upside down in the aquarium. And it's just, so she like, you were out there for a while. I was like, yeah, I was, uh, I had this, had this thing that came up that I had to deal with. And um, it was serious. You go to your truck a lot. I was like, I know. Baby, some of this is personal. You can't do ministry. I, I mean, I don't know. And so, um, but, and, and I would try to hold it in. But if you've ever struggled with, like, gassy issues, when you hold it in, what happens? It hurts. It hurts. And I've seen some of y'all. Some of y'all, this is how I know. This is how I know it happens in church. Because I call it the tilt effect. Some of y'all sitting there trying to be all nice, but you do one of these right here. I know what you're doing. So I would hold it in as much as I could. It was hurting. She'd be like, are you all right? I'm like, I'm fine. Why are you judging me? I'm fine. I'm fine. And, and, and I was like, I, I just, I, I can never let this out until one day we're walking her dog, Sammy. And we're walking outside, and, and I was hurting so bad. I was like, you know what? I'm going to let it out real slow and real easy. But my body said, no, we're not. <laughs> She's about to see who you really are. <laughs> and I took a step, and when I did, it was like, <laughs> and I, I wanted to cry. And she looked at me, and I looked at her, and she busted out laughing. I was like, oh, you think that's funny? She said, that is hysterical. I was like, well, then check this out. And anyway, so she don't think it's funny anymore. But my point is this, I was holding something in because I felt like if I let it out, it was going to hinder the relationship, but it didn't hinder the relationship. It actually made the relationship stronger. And that's the, the lie that the enemy wants us to believe, that if we, if we hold this in, well, we, we, we got to hold this in because if we don't, it hinders our relationship with God. Well, it doesn't hinder our relationship with God because God doesn't, listen, God just wants you to be honest. And I think that, that Oh, I don't think we should have to hide who we are. Because if, if we've got to hide who we are, <laughs> then we don't need to hang out with that group of people anyway. Shame, shame hinders our relationship with God, and it hinders our relationship with others. I just decided. I'm, I'm telling you, I turned 50 in June. And the message I, I'm going to preach the Sunday after I turn 50 is called 50 and Unfiltered. Y'all ain't ready. 
No, y'all do 11.30. Y'all might be ready. Y'all might be ready. Y'all might be ready. Y'all pray for 8.30 and 10. They might not, they might not be ready. 50 and unfiltered. Letter I, the letter A stands for allows the enemy to hijack our assignment. Now, y'all have heard me talk about this dozens of times, but I'll say it again. When I go somewhere, I drive. I drive. No, I ain't riding with you. But you know what bothers me? Is when somebody rides with me and they tell me a different way. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? You know how to get there. Take a right right here. Why? It's quicker. No, it's not. Take a look, right? Why? It's quicker. Or, 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 if I'm driving and you touch the stereo, or if you touch my phone to change the music that I got on. Y'all are looking at each other right now. Y'all just looked at somebody over here. Dear God, I'm preaching. But that's what the enemy does. If we're trying to drive and he's trying to distract us by telling us, and, and, and at the end of the day, the enemy, the enemy wants us to focus on the past so we can't look toward the future. I listened to an interview this week by um, uh, a lady interviewed Kathy Lee Gifford. Y'all know Kathy Lee. She was on Regis and Kathy Lee. Unbel like the, Kathy Lee preached the gospel from the start of the interview to the end. I, it was like she just kept coming back to it. But she said this one statement that about knocked me off the treadmill. She said this, I've got to make new memories or the old ones will kill me. And there's too many people in this room living in the old, and God's like, we got to make some new memories. Uh, the, letter, the letter M stands for manipulates our mindset. The enemy wants you to believe that God can love, forgive, and restore people, just not you. Isn't that true? I believe that God can love and forgive and restore anybody. But, like, I, I am my biggest doubter. Hey, let me give you some information about you that you did not know. You're your biggest hater. You got to stop hating on you because God hadn't hated on you, like, ever. The letter... E stands for, expects us to settle for less. Shame says, oh, you could have had this life, but because you did this, you're canceled. And nothing could be further from the truth. If you're still breathing, there's still a reason for you to be on this planet. So watch what happens. This is crazy. When David heard what had happened, pause. The king heard what happened. The king was aware of the shameful situation that his ambassadors were experiencing. One of the questions I get as a pastor, I'll be honest with you, for years I didn't have an answer, is, Perry, if God is so big and God is so good, then where was he during all my suffering? But after going through some stuff, I can tell you exactly where God was during your suffering, right beside you. See, we have a God that can identify with us in our suffering because he's actually suffered too. The cross is a reminder. God suffered way more than we have. 
so he can walk with us and strengthen us as we suffer too. That's what David became aware. He, he sent messengers to tell the men. Watch this. Stay at Jericho, not forever. How long should we stay at Jericho? Until your beards grow out and then come back. For they felt deep shame because of their appearance. Stay at Jericho till your beards grow out. He didn't say, hey, you go to Jericho and you go to Capernaum and you go to, you go to the Gala, you, go, you know, you go to Tiberias and you go to Joppa. He didn't separate them. He said, you guys, as a group, go to Jericho because, don't miss this, healing never happens in isolation. You can't heal yourself. It's going to take place in the context of community. You guys go to Jericho until your beards grow back. He put them in an environment where they could heal together. And when I think about our church, I think about God has put us in an environment where we can heal together. There's no perfect people in this room. Nobody, including the guy on stage right now. This is what I think happened, and I can't prove it, but I can just imagine these guys. Let's say they've been in Jericho for a month, and they're shamed. Their beards have been cut off, and they're closed. I mean, they got some new clothes, but I can imagine one day, one of them looking at the other one and just going, hey, man, I need to tell you something. I know we went through some stuff back there. I know some horrible things took place, but... um, your beard's growing back. I know you can't see it, but man, I can I can see it. And uh, it's not where it it's not where it was, but I can see your beard's growing back. And one day, one day you're gonna get back to that place, and it's gonna be even better. And the guy goes, "Well, I'm glad you spoke up because uh, your <laughs> your beard's growing back too." I'm not going to say anything to you. You said something, but now that you said something, I need to say something. You're busy. And it, it became this environment where people actually encouraged each other. That's what we're called to do in the church. We're called to rally around each other and encourage each other. You know what? You, you're getting better. You've been, you've been sober for, for two weeks. Man, praise God. You, you haven't used in a month. Praise God. And every once in a while, I've had people trust me. I have people come to me going, you know what? You, sometimes you just got to call it out. You got to show them some tough love. How's that going for the church? How's that working? By the way, tough love is often an excuse to show no love. Just wanted to throw that out there for somebody. I don't know if that's for anybody or if that just made me feel better. Probably both. God wants us to be in an environment where we, and the church should be the one place where we don't, listen, we can't heal until we're, we're, we're willing to get real. There's too many people scared to admit what they're struggling with because you saw what happened to the last person that admitted what they were struggling with. And I don't, I don't think God's goal is to push us out. I think the goal is to pull us in. 
So, so they're at Jericho, and in the meantime, a fight breaks out, like a battle breaks out. And the battle gets so out of hand that while these men are in Jericho recovering for the, from their shame, the author of 2 Samuel tells us when David heard what was happening, he mobilized all Israel, the king, the king mobilized all of Israel. That's pretty strong for some guys that got their beards cut off. He mobilized all Israel, crossed the Jordan River. We'll talk about that in a second because that's incredibly significant. And led the army to Helam. The Arameans positioned themselves in battle formation and fought against David. But again, the Arameans fled from the Israelites. This time, David's forces killed 700 charioteers and 40,000 foot soldiers, including Shabak. That's a that's a powerful name. I don't think you should name your kid that, but that's a cool name. Shabak, and he died. Um, the commander of their army. Now, this is why this stuck out to me so much. Their king went to war for them. These ambassadors that were on assignment and stepped into shame, their king said, hey, you go to this place and you heal and I'll go fight that battle for you. Some of you need to listen. Some of you need to hear this. I didn't say this at 8.30 or 10. I don't know what's happening at 11.30. That thing that has caused you shame for years, God's fighting that battle for you. He's mobilized forces that would blow your mind. He don't need, the reason some people are not experiencing victory in your life, listen to me, is you're fighting the battle that God wants to fight for you. You just need to get out of the way. God asked me a long time ago in certain situations, you want me to fight that for you or do you want to fight that? Do you know how hard it is to let God fight your battles? I mean, on the surface, it sounds good. But can I get real? Wouldn't it be nice wouldn't it be nice every once in a while just to wear somebody out that hurt you? I'm just, I'm, I'm real right now. I'm real. I'm real. I think this is the one we put online too, so I'm probably, I mean, but, I mean, have you just imagined wearing, am I the only one just wearing them out? But you know the problem with that? You fought the battle that God wanted to fight. God's like, all right, if you want to do it, that's fine. But if we just move out of the way and we'll stay at Jericho and heal, God will fight that battle. And the thing that blows my mind is we're reminded of this through the cross and the empty tomb. Because Scripture says that, that David heard what was happening and he mobilized all of Israel and he crossed the Jordan River. Jerusalem sits up on a mountain. The Jordan River is down in the valley. So the king had to come from a high position to a low position. Just like Philippians chapter 2 where Paul said Jesus humbled himself and went to a low position. And then he crossed the Jordan River. You know what was on the other side of the Jordan River? The enemy's territory. So King David came down from Jerusalem, 
crossed the Jordan River, went into the enemy's territory, and fought a battle that these guys couldn't fight. And he won. It reminds me of Jesus, who came down from heaven to earth, and through the cross, crossed over into the enemy's territory, went to hell and took away the keys of death from Satan. And today, as followers of Christ, we can know we can be victorious over anything that comes our way because of two things, the cross and the empty tomb. The cross is a reminder that Jesus ascended from heaven to earth and literally died on a cross. Listen, Jesus did not die on a cross so we could sit in the shackles of shame and be silenced for the rest of our life. All of our sin, all of our shame, nailed to the cross. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, while I appreciate the cross, and while I celebrate the cross, thousands and thousands of people were crucified in the Roman Empire. But only one came back to life. Jesus was dead and came back to life. Jesus was dead and came back to life. Maybe part of you, you feel like, is dead. You can know for a fact that Jesus wants to bring that area of your life back to life. That's the God we serve. He doesn't want you to sit in the shackles of shame, but wants you to step out of the shadows into the abundant life that the Savior promises every one of us. Jesus came from death to life. His will for those who follow him is for us to step from death to life. So when I see that cross, when I see the cross like we sang about, I see freedom. Freedom from my sin. Freedom from my shackles. Freedom from my shame. And when I see the grave, I see Jesus coming back to life and because he lives you and I can live that's the promise he's made to us 2,000 years ago and it's still true today so if you wrestle with shame today today you can take your first step toward those shackles coming off by saying you know what Jesus that may be what I did that may be what happened to me but that's not who I am I want to find my identity and you with that in mind can we stand for prayer father I want to pray over every single person in this room every single person person watching online right now that wrestles with shame Jesus that you would remind us over these next few moments that the cross the cross the cross our sin our shame was paid for and the empty tomb is a reminder that you have not called us to hide out in isolation, but to live in freedom, freedom from the past, freedom from the shame, freedom from the guilt, freedom from the hurt. Jesus, I pray, God, as we see the cross, we'll see freedom. 
As we see the grave, we'll see Jesus. And we'll know that the life that you live, Jesus, is the life that you've called us to live. Thank you so much, Jesus, that when we see the cross, we see freedom. Thank you, Jesus, that our debt is paid, that our chains are gone. And God, I want to pray right now for the man or the woman in this room or watching online that struggles with shame. With heads bowed and eyes closed right now, I know there are people in this room that you feel like I was talking to you. You have allowed shame to shackle you for far too long. I want to challenge you to where you stand right now. Make it your personal altar. And just ask Jesus right where you stand. Help me to break these shackles of shame. Pray it to him right now. Jesus, help me to break these shackles of shame. Jesus, help me to see me the way you see me. Jesus, help me to shed the labels that people have put on me. Jesus, help me to step into the life that you are calling me to live. Maybe you're here today and you've never prayed to receive Christ. You've never asked Jesus into your life and you know that today, that's what you need to do. Right where you stand right now, I want you to, if you want to ask Christ into your life, I want to challenge you to pray and just say, Jesus Christ, pray this in your heart, Jesus Christ, I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the grave to pay for my sin. And right now, Jesus, I receive you into my life. Take over. Take control. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you just prayed that prayer, would you hold your hand up and hold it up high because we want to celebrate with you. If you're online, I want you to do the hand raise emoji. We've had people pray to receive Christ all day. Father, I want to thank you for these hands. I want to thank you for the people that received you. Jesus, I want to thank you for the people today that realized, Jesus, there is still a reason and a purpose for us being here. There is an assignment on our life. So as we walk out of this place today, may we walk out with hope. May we walk out with peace. May we walk out with joy, knowing that the shackles of shame cannot cancel the assignment and that in you, Jesus, because you're alive, we can live, and the best really is yet to come. We love you, Jesus, and everybody that agreed with this said, amen. I am so glad you came to church today. Celebrate life this week, and we'll see y'all back here next Sunday. God bless.